With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part podcast series, I'm joined by Eric Feldman, Senior Vice President of Affiliated Monitors. We take a deep dive into the Department of Justice Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, the 2019 guidance, which was released in April of this year. Over the next five podcasts, we will explore the challenges, excuse me, the changes that are in the 2019 guidance from the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs 2017 guidance, which was released back in February of 2017. The structure and the emphasis of the 2019 guidance, and what does it mean for the compliance practitioner? We will also take a look at each specific prong. So is the program well-designed? Is it being a implemented effectively, and does the compliance program work in practice? In this episode two, we ask the question, is your program well-designed, considering risk assessments, policies and procedures, training and communication, confidential reporting, third parties, and M&A? It's a fascinating exploration, which we will find helpful. This special five-part series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our second episode in our five-part exploration of the new uh, 2019 DOJ Guidance on Corporate Compliance Programs. I'm joined again by Eric Feldman, Senior Vice President at Affiliated Monitors. Uh, Eric, first of all, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. Eric, we are in an exploration or rather a discussion about uh, prong one of the three-prong questions is the program well-designed, and we are going to start today with policies and procedures. And one of the things that struck me about this section in the 2019 guidance was one of the first times they started a robust discussion of the culture of compliance. I know that's something that is very near and dear to your heart, so I was wondering if you might uh, talk about the changes you saw in policies and procedures and really this new emphasis on culture. Oh, sure. Uh, Thank you, Tom. Um, Yeah, you know, culture is one of the things that uh, we always go back to the um, federal sentencing guidelines uh, to find the first mention of the DOJ uh, of 
the importance of ethical culture uh, in a company. As you know, and you and I have discussed this several times, I view culture as a foundational internal control in a company without which the other controls that you put into place are just not going to be as effective. In other words, do people want to comply in a company? Are you creating the kind of environment that drives people to make the right decisions? And what I like about this guidance is that that concept of creating the right environment, the right culture at every level of the organization is sprinkled throughout the entire document. Um, they don't just refer to the federal sentencing guidelines when they talk about culture. They have individual standalone statements, for example, under policies and procedures. The very first thing is that prosecutors should assess whether the company has established policies and procedures that incorporate the culture of compliance into day-to-day -day operations. And that linkage between core values and a what we might call a culture of compliance and how I conduct my business every day, that is where a lot of programs fail. And it's that linkage that has to be strong. And the DOJ guidance in every area uh, addresses creating that kind of environment. Sometimes they call it a workplace atmosphere. Uh, in other places, they refer to it as um, strong corporate culture. Uh, they talk about disseminating and understanding the uh, basic tenets of the compliance program and the value of mid-level managers in translating those broad objectives into the day-to-day -day decisions. They also later on talk about culture um, of compliance from the top of the organization. Uh, and they bring the board into it as a, uh, a key player in creating a strong ethical culture uh, within the organization. So, yeah, I think that that's a great observation that culture really is um, uh, emphasized a lot more here than in previous versions. Eric, if I could turn now to training and communications, there were a couple of thoughts that struck me in this section that I thought, if not were new, maybe uh, perhaps more focused, uh, the compliance practitioner's thoughts. One was, of course, effective training uh, and measurement of effective training. But uh, even more than effective training was, number one, the continuous improvement concept that you talked about around risk assessments, that needs to be a part of your training to take that information and loop it back into your program. And that comes from really having employee perceptions uh, about not only the compliance program, but the culture. I was wondering uh, what your thoughts might be on training and communication. Well, uh, one of the things that, uh, that they talk about here is um, – Using prior compliance incidents as a way of developing and delivering your training. And this is something that we've always said that it's one thing to get an off the shelf computer based training program, even the most interesting ones with great vignettes that are humorous and, um, you know, you change it up on a regular basis. It, those are good things, except 
if employees don't honestly believe that this can happen here in our organization, then it is unlikely that they're going to pay enough attention to it to get something out of the training. The use of real-life examples is what they're talking about in this guidance. Taking compliance failures, using them as teachable moments, turning them into uh, training opportunities. And I love that concept. And that's something we've been talking about for a very long time. They also talk in here about risk-based training um, and providing different training to supervisors than you do the rank and file. And that is a tacit recognition that managers have a very unique role to play in motivating staff, creating the culture, uh, and they need to be held accountability accountable for translating that cultural message into day-to-day decision-making throughout the organization. So I like that that is in there as well. Uh, That's interesting you you had that observation, Eric, because uh, my actually observation on that point of training for middle managers really leads to or led into the next general topic within the guidance, which is confidential reporting structure and investigations. And if I could use that as a segue, uh, I thought that one of the things the Department of Justice wants to make sure is that in addition to having a robust speak-up culture, that companies provide that specific training to middle managers who, it turns out, most employees want to report to uh, their either direct managers or certainly close to their line of management rather than making an anonymous hotline report, but I was wondering what your thoughts were around reporting structure and the investigative process under the new guidance. Well, yeah, the new guidance gets into a lot of detail on the reporting structure and and the atmosphere. Um, the number one objective, as it should be, is creating that culture that uh, is absent of fear of retaliation. That's what they're trying to prevent. Um, but they, they talk more than previous guidance on the process for handling investigations. And when you get a complaint, what happens to it? Uh, it's the first time I've seen a lot of emphasis on follow-up. And not just follow-up on the part of does the company do anything when it gets complaints, but follow-up with the complainant. Uh, and that's the role of the middle manager to a certain extent, uh, to be involved in that process post investigation, uh, to be involved in the remediation of whatever issue was raised post investigation. The question of who determines whether to conduct an investigation and how they do it, that's also outlined in the guidance and as to whether or not those processes are documented. We've seen a lot of companies in our reviews where um, they essentially add, do an ad hoc review every time they get a complaint. There are no investigative procedures or process put into place, and therefore they can't really track the results, particularly if a compliance officer hands off a complaint to HR, for example. What kind of case management is there to make sure that there's follow-up. 
uh, and if appropriate, discipline. So I think DOJ is very effectively in this guidance linking uh, the reporting structure and the actual follow-up and action by the company uh, in a, a very effective way. Eric, third party uh, third parties are still uh, viewed as one of the highest uh, FCPA uh, threats, and the third party management section in the guidance was uh, robust around that particular risk. Was there uh, anything in this section that you found new or different, or particularly uh, took us in a different direction? Uh, not a different direction, but I think. Um uh, a lot more specific than I've seen before. So they're looking at a risk-based due diligence and the diligence, and they bring risk into the process because it's a recognition that every company cannot uh, do a full field investigation on every supplier, vendor, uh, mission partner, uh, third-party agent. Uh, it makes no sense to do it of every single uh, vendor in the same way. Uh, it has to be based on risk. And the simplest example is if you are doing business uh, in a variety of countries and you hire third-party agents to represent your business, that presents a very high risk of violation of the FCPA. What is that individual doing? You're relying a lot on that individual and the controls that you put on them. So the due diligence, being able to detect misconduct most likely to occur, is critical before you bring that person on. Um, they also talk about, which I find interesting and some might view as an intrusion on business, that they're going to be looking at the business rationale for needing a third party. Um, based on the services described, what is the third party doing? Is the compensation appropriate? Is there ongoing monitoring of what the third party is doing? And unless the company does those things and can document that they do these things, uh, it's going to create a vulnerability if that third party agent uh, violates the code uh, or the law. The the other thing they talk about, which I like, is a, finding a way to incentivize third-party compliance and ethical behavior. How do you incentivize that among your third parties, not just use the stick that you can't do the following things, but incentivizing good behavior consistent with the code of conduct and the core values? Um, and I think it's a good thing that they list this question here, and it will get companies thinking about various ways they can beef up their third-party management and make it a lot more proactive than it might be. Eric, there was a section on mergers and acquisitions. Was there anything in that section that particularly struck you? Yeah, um, it's uh, for, they, they divide it up into pre-M&A and, and post-M&A. And the pre-M&A is the extent to which the company subjects its targets, acquisition targets, to scrutiny. They feel that that is indicative of whether the pro compliance program that they currently have 
is going to be able to enforce controls and remediate misconduct in the new organization. Uh, so you need to evaluate to a certain extent pre-M&A whether the company that you're going to buy has a culture that is going to be predisposed to your controls and your ethics and compliance program. And they talk about integration of the compliance function. Now, this is not new. And in fact, this was something that DOJ uh, underweight Chen's guidance was very uh, big on, and that was um, whether the company had a uh, documented integration plan uh, for the new company and integration into uh, the corporate culture. And that's where we saw a lot of failures. After execution, this guidance talks about tracking and remediating any risks that you identified during the initial due diligence and creating new compliance policies and procedures at the new entity. So this is a pretty crisp section here, and it's pretty clear what the prosecutors are going to be looking for. Eric, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I've been visiting today with Eric Feldman, the Senior Vice President at Affiliated Monitors. We have concluded our exploration of what is a well-designed program under the 2012, excuse me, 2019 guidance. And tomorrow, I hope you'll join us when we take up the prong, is it being implemented effectively? Eric, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Same here, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the special five-part series on the new 2019 DOJ guidance, which is sponsored by Affiliated Monitors. For more information on Affiliated Monitors, check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode in this special five-part podcast series, which has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.